We're up to the second paragraph in the first chapter of the Derech Hashem. Where he says that we, ex- we went into length about the, our relationship to Rebbein Sha'olam. This being only Hashem himself can grasp who he is. We can't. The only thing we can know about him is he's complete, he's perfect. But he has no lacking. Says Ramchal. We know this. These things about the Hashem through the Avais, Umin Hanivim, and from the prophets, Vihisigum, and reach that level, call Yisrael Bamamad Arsina. The Jewish people in its entirety came to this realization, had this experience at Har Sinai, and they were able to grasp the notion of the Creator clearly. And taught it to their children generation after generation, until this very day. It's an amazing thing the Ramchal says, that on her Sinai, the experience of Sinai was a, an experience of connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which left us with a knowledge of what we didn't know. It's an amazing contradiction that the paradox that the, Ram, the, the Ramchal points across. He says the Jewish people were able to grasp this idea on Har Sinai. What were they able to grasp? The ungraspable nature of Hashem. And it says, not only says, that they are able to grasp it, but it says, they knew it, or they saw the reality. So the experience of Har Sinai was an experience of coming in direct contact as a nation with the Creator. And getting, as it were, to, to experience the Creator. And that was a one-off event. And that's why, after that event, after that event, the way it's perpetuated, the way Har Sinai has a continued relevance to our day-to-day life, is through the perpetuation, through the chain of transmission, the giving over of Torah from one generation to another. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu, through Hashem, for the words of Hashem commanded them, lest you forget the things that your eyes saw, you should teach them to your children and your children's children, meaning, give over that experience, 
give over the nature of God perpetually so that the children that you have, even now, 3,000 years later, we know that that's what it is. Now, can we experience it? Possibly partially. But even if we are never to experience anything of the sort in our entire lifetime, we know it because it's a tradition that we have from the people that did experience it. The key role that Mahmoud Hasina plays in our Jewish psyche cannot be underestimated. When you actually look at the word, the expanded postdoc over here, the verse that the Ramchal quotes, Pentishka Chesadroi Masheronecho, there are um, a whole variety of um, insurance policies that are inserted into the words of the verse to maintain the perpetuation of this tradition. Um, when, you, when you look at the words, the verse says, Rak, only. He shomer guard yourself, one. And guard yourself a lot. In other words, that's two, two times. Every time it says one of those is a negative transgression. Shmor. Vishomer. Shmor lecho. Hishomer lecho. Shmor nafshechom oed. Pen is another, that three negative transgressions. Tishkach is advoy mashero inecho. Lest you forget the things that your eyes saw. Ufen, another negative commandment. Yasur milvavecho. You remove them from your heart. Call your mechayecho all the days of your life. Vaidatum levonecho vilivnevonecho. The day you stood in front of Hashem on Mount Chayev Arsinai. It's an amazing thing. It's a crucial point. The nature of the divine revelation and what's fascinating just in terms of a point that we have discussed previously but it's important to give it this, this angle as well. In terms of understanding, and maybe we'll try to deepen our understanding. I'll start off with a trivial understanding, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to enrich it and enhance it. Picture yourself in the midst of the African bush. And as you break your way through the thick undergrowth you come to a clearing and in the clearing there's a a round circle of huts huts made from grass and in the center of these huts there's a fire burning and somewhere in the background you can hear the beat of drums you've entered into a tribe that lived this way for thousands of years and they have a chief the chief is a fearless leader strong in battle brave in hunting cunning and fair he has three sons everyone wonders all the sons are talented and credit to their father strong brave intelligent 
And these three sons are the heirs to the chief throne, but no one knows which will be chosen. One day, the impossible happens. The chief out hunting, stalking a buffalo, even with his almost superhuman hearing, fails to hear the subtle snap of a twig behind him. And when he turns, turns around to see the bare teeth of a leopard descending upon him, it's too late for him to pull his spear and stop it. And the leopard pounces. And before any of the other warriors can even get near, the leopard's ripped his throat out and the chief lies dead on the floor. His body is taken with great honor and respect back to the tribal grounds and he's put on a funeral pyre and burnt in the traditional manner. And mourning descends upon a small deserted village. As the shock of the loss of the chief subsides, the tribesmen begin to wonder who will be the next chief who will take over. There's talk amongst the elders, but no one can decide between the three brothers. It goes on for weeks. One morning, one of the brothers calls an emergency meeting for the 12 elders of the tribe and his two brothers to meet in the tent set aside for these auspicious occasions they get together and there's a tension in the room the brother says elders and teachers I have news to reveal to you but last night my father did come to me in a dream Proclaim me as the chief of the tribe. Now, let's face it. This wasn't such an easy sell. Until one of the wise and elders stood up and spoke and said, Tell me, sir, surely if your brother if your father wanted to proclaim you as the chief, he would have come to me and not to you to inform me of that appointment. And of course, his dream was disputed and the chiefship, chiefdom was given over in the course of time to another one of the brothers. Because when a person comes with that kind of claim, there's no basis to it. He could be making it up, especially when there's a vested interest that he could. Whereas if an objective party would be able to verify it, it would be completely different. Now if you scan the religions of the world from every corner and every time in history and you look for a single religion that is not based on an individual's coming onto the scene and saying, Hi guys, I just received a prophecy. God told me the following. You will not find a single religion that doesn't begin that way. Or of the religions which begin with a prophetic revelation, 
That's the way it works. It's always a prophet who is the founding point of his own validity. In terms of the logical basis for such religions, so taking away spiritual and issues of faith where people can believe in whatever they want to, but in terms of putting it in a category of legend as opposed to putting it into a category of history, it will have to default to be considered legend. Legend meaning a story that is told about. History being an observable fact which has got many different repercussions in terms of the amount of people that it affects as an event. Is something an event or a legend? If it's an event, so it has an objective impact. It leaves a footprint on the place and time at which it occurred. When it's a legend, it's reported to have occurred through word of mouth. But there's no open footprint. There's a series of law which evolves around and about it. The exception to the rule of every, every other religion in the entire world, as is documented in the Torah itself, is Judaism. Judaism is the only religion that claims, forget whether the claim is correct or incorrect, no other religion even makes a claim that when God wanted to establish the validity of the prophet, he didn't tell the prophet, he told the people who were listening to the prophet. And that's why three million Jews are reported to have stood at the Mount Sinai, foot of Mount Sinai, whereby Hashem says, Moshe Rabbeinu is my prophet. And not only that, but they experienced what their prophecy was all about. And they walked away with that, and they cherished that, and they completely and totally reformed the entire perspective of the world. And not only that, that event became locked into world history as probably, certainly in the Western world, one of the transformational events that have ever, ever occurred in the history of time. Because the majority of the world's population is made up religiously of Muslims and Christians. And part of the Islamic and Christian faith is the divine revelation at Sinai. There's a dispute here what happened afterwards, but everyone agrees to that fact. So the majority of the world today believes in the what's called Matan Torah in Hebrew, the Gibbonot terms. It's a historical event, it's not a legend something that's looked upon in world history as something which occurred. It's not, it's not something that people reported to have happened and the faithful believe in it. It's what happened. It's what happened. What happened? What happened? So something happened. The Ramchal deepens as to what happened. What happened was a nation in its entirety experienced God in such a way that they walked away and they knew what that was. They couldn't put it into words. They could only say, it's perfect, he's perfect, and we can't get to the bottom of him, and we can transfer that to our children, our children's children, and capture that in a tradition that will be perpetuated throughout time and space. Interesting. It, 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 it's an interesting point where the Ramchal brings in Matan Torah. Brings in the beginning of his book and he's saying, that's something, in other words, it's based with a certain consistency in the Ramchal's approach. The Ramchal's approach is, to be religious doesn't mean 
It's like uh, Galileo said. I'm not going to quote him correctly, but I thought it was a very perceptive quote. He says, because Galileo, of course, when he theorized that the world was round, he was... Uh, I, I don't know if it was his theory about the world being round or that the, that the, the sun is the center of the solar system. And it was against church theory because the church says that the world is the center of the the world is the center of everything. So how can you deny that? So he says, I cannot believe that the same God that endowed me with intellectual abilities commanded me not to use them. The theme that runs through the Ramchal is that in order to become religious, you don't have to sacrifice your rational thinking. On the contrary. To be truly religious, you have to embrace it and utilize it to its fullest extent. And that's why when we studied the introduction, the cognitive emphasis was almost overbearing. Because only with a refined intellect can you possibly grasp the depths and the beauty of the traits to convey. So that's also in terms not only of the content, but also in terms of the history. And therefore, when the Ramchal presents an idea, he says you have to understand that one of the most basic points of rational thinking is if you say something, you have to back it up with from whence it came. To say a statement, statement proof, statement proof, statement proof. But to say a statement and someone says, where would you get that from? You say, well, just, I just feel that way. It doesn't hold any water. Um, but Tito. So it becomes tricky because the Ramchal, that's why I said the Ramchal dances a paradox. His whole point of view is proving the unprovable. What is there about God I can know nothing? How do I know that I can know nothing about God? Because I can prove it. <laughs> to understand. So Emunah seems to be an experience which goes through a different channel to the cognitive, but it's, it's, it's bolstered by and supported by a cognitive framework. This is going to be a theme which we're going to have to expand a lot upon in, 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 the, in the study of Jerich Hashem, that there's this, this delicate balance between the experience and the explanation of the experience. Ultimately, when you go into the cognitive realm, you have to use logical constructs and words and all these things which essentially are limitations. To describe something where they can only describe what the thing is, but they can't describe the thing. When you want to... We've said this before. When you want to describe a feeling, you can't tell me what the feeling is. If I've had that experience, and you've had the experience, and I say this word, it acts as a key to what that shared feeling can be. But you can't actually put into words anything. A word is a construct. Logical thought is a construct. So you can't actually capture anything of an experience in words, you can describe it, you can talk about it, but you can't have it. So there's going to be this constant dance between the description of and the experience of. So the Ramchal says, but you also have to, you always have to be able to go into that world and you have to be able to explain how it makes sense. Everything has to make sense. You can't have anything not making sense because we agree with Galileo that the God that endowed us with intellectual reasoning said, use it at every opportunity. You can never sacrifice it. Because if I wanted you not to use I would have created you with no logical thought. And the beginning of logical thought is the recognition of a disequilibrium between the way my mind understands cause and effect and the presentation of cause and effect in the world. 
which causes a lot of interesting discussion when it comes um, talks about miracles which should be according to the intellectual rational man impossible but unfortunately we're running out of time we wish me the main base majors enjoy